right, so we'll be in uh, Corinthians chapter 1, and we're doing verses 10 through 17. There we go. Right, the divisions is in the church. I have a question. You're not recording this. We're gone. I'm gone next week. I, I, I am recording it today, and I'll record the first session this week, and then we'll be able to have we'll it. We'll be for, on a podcast? Is that yeah. A, okay. Because mm-hmm. if we're gone, I just need to. I appreciate you checking. Try present. Here's what I don't like about presenting on these. You can't go back. You can always go forward. So if I if I double click, I'm doomed. But <laughs> discussion question. Let's start off like this. What other Christian pastors, podcasts, or teachers do you follow, and what do you like about them? Maybe you don't follow any. Maybe you listen to. I have a few podcasts I kind of go through, and I rotate through a bunch of them. There's two Lutheran pastors in Tulsa, not Tulsa. Why am I drawing a blank? But it's Christ Lutheran Greenfield is the name of the church. And it's Tim Allman and Jake, not Jake Beslin, but Tim Allman and another guy that works with them there. It's a leadership, Christian pastors kind of podcast. Really great. Recommend it. I listen to Timothy Keller, if you know who he is. Everyone has issues to and from him. That's okay. Right? But I like to hear different perspectives. He's a Presbyterian. Uh, there's a guy named Mark Driscoll who's been under some criticism a couple of years ago, but some of his biblical teachings are really solid. So I listen to him, but I listen to a lot of guys. And you listen to us all the time. I mean, on Sundays at least, right? And same thing with Pastor Dinger. Is there anyone else you kind of follow or listen to? Yeah, your whole list? Uh, Colson yeah. Center, so John. Stone Street. Oh, yeah. They bring in, I like Oz Guinness. Okay, okay. That one, that one they do, like, kind of interviews, right? It's a couple guys? As some, yes. Yeah, yeah. But they talk about issues of the day mm-hmm. and uh, from a biblical worldview. Oh, neat. So it's very helpful. Aaron. Aaron recommended it? Well, well he follows Oh, it. okay. What was that again? Colson Center. Colson Center, yeah. Pastor Jeffress and the Bible Answer Man. The Bible Answer Man. I like that title. <laughs> I wish that was my title. King Yeah, very cool. I yep. will listen to uh, Ligonier Ministries. Which one? Ligonier Ministries. Oh, I know them. What do they do? R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, yeah. yeah. That's why I know that. One his fellows yep. in there, uh, Steve Lawson. Mm-hmm. I'll also listen to uh, Bodie Bauckham. Bodie Bauckham, yep. So I know him. That's another Aaron preacher. He really yeah. likes him. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I listen to him like, like seriously, when I work out, when I'm lifting weights, I listen to a sermon. It gets me, it gets me the double pump, right? The body pump and the spiritual pump, so to speak. But I kind of get information that way. And I always have a little note open on my phone where I'm like, oh, you know, I gotta stop mid bench press. Oh, that was so good, I gotta write it down. <laughs> you know, and then, then rack it, and I get up and I get on my phone. And I'm like, I gotta write that down. That was a great note. And I, I bring this up for a few reasons. We don't always listen to people of our same denomination. Right. right? That's not a bad thing. You know, we're, we're here as a denomination for particular reasons or particular things that we teach, we follow, that we say, and that we believe. I tell, and this is, I guess this is a vote for Lutheranism, right? I tell everybody when I was new to Christianity, and it happened to be at a Lutheran church or, or Lutheran school, you know, if you, the paraphrase of this story is, wasn't a Christian, I was in college, happened to be at a Concordia because they gave me great scholarship money. Yeah. I didn't even know that they were Lutheran. Had no idea. I didn't even know Lutheran existed, uh, just as a heads up. So I'm there, and, uh, you know, meet my wife. I go to church for the first time, experience Jesus Christ, and just, oh, Lord came to me. It was overwhelming. I'm like, this is great. 
go through a basic catechism class with the campus pastor. And I, I said all this because, oh yeah, uh, catechism class. He's like, so we believe, teach, and confess that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God. We go through by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. We believe that, you know, um, you know, the sola, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, you know, it's by scripture alone, faith alone, and the grace of God alone that we're saved. And I'm like, great. He's like, you got any questions about that? <laughs> I'm like, no. Why would you believe anything else? <laughs> and, I, and that was coming from, it's, it's funny, from like a common sense point of view. Right. Uh, I was like, yeah, if, if God tells us his promises in the scripture, why wouldn't this be the thing that we base everything off of? That's great. And faith, yeah, faith should be trusting in the promises he gives us here. Great. And it's because Jesus did it all for us. That's what it says here. Why would you believe anything else? And he looks at me and he says, you might be surprised <laughs> on what other denominations and other people believe. And I was, but I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, googly-eyed Christian, like, no, this is great. And it wasn't until, like, later, obviously in life, and especially through seminary where you're learning, like, denominational studies, and you're like, whoa. People follow and believe and I, a lot of different stuff. I won't say bad or good. This like, or their focuses on are on different parts of the liturgy or teaching. I'm just like, man, I didn't know there was so much out there. It's, it's funny, in the way that I was brought into faith, I didn't realize there were options, right? Like it was Baskin Robbins. I didn't know there were 31 flavors. All I've had is, I don't know, what's what, what flavor would you give Lutheran vanilla? <laughs> and I know that sounds boring, but it's always it's always you can always trust it, and you you can always you can always add to vanilla, right? Yeah, it may seem boring, but everyone everyone loves it, right? So I say that because as we go into like other teachings and podcasts, there's a division problem here in, in Corinth. And we talked about it a bit last week, right, with all the different cultural impacts and things going on, the worship of Aphrodite, the, the lifestyle issues that are going along with that, the prostitutes that were considered worship. All of these different things are adding into making, okay, now even though we're Christians, we're going to start <coughs> doing this. We're going to start to divide. And this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, is one of the main reasons. Paul gives it to you early. There's like, I don't know, is there 16 chapters in Corinthians? I should know that answer. I'm pretty sure it's 16. Um, yeah. If not, it's 15. And I say this because it's really crucial here that he gives it to you right <laughs> in the beginning. Remember last week we said there are two reasons he's writing this letter. One, to address this issue of division. Right here, that there be no divisions. That's the number one primary reason he's writing this letter. Number two is to answer all the questions they've asked him, which we said is in a letter previous, which we don't have, but he says, I'm writing also in response to answer you, and that's how, what's really neat about that is we get kind of this plethora of cultural issues going on in Corinth that address a lot of what's going on today because they're facing all these same issues. So as we go to this, let me read this out. Ah, someone else read it out loud. Ross, would you mind reading I that I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Great. So I put this picture here for a reason. It says small bites, big results, and there's a little picture. It's a common common sense guide to weight loss. I know that's funny, but what I want to focus on is small <coughs> bites, big results. This verse, we're gonna break it down just section by section. We won't do this often. And I will confess, when I've seen other teachers do this, I'm like, that's annoying. Like, you can't use every single letter and word. It can't be that important. 
It is. <laughs> and in this one in particular, Paul addresses a lot in just one verse. And also there's the <coughs> subtext of some of the things that he says in here that really that bring to light some of the solutions that he's trying to get to. Because the question is answering, what is the solution to division here in verse 10? And we'll answer that a bit as we go. Let me see. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah. So we take this, this first section, Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's fascinating about this. Paul uses brothers 39 times in the letter of the Corinthians. Why would he do that? Why does he use this so often? Two times in just this one verse, by the way. United. He's trying to give you the idea that we're what? Yes, we're all family. He's trying to appeal just right in the beginning to a sense of unity. Families fight. If you've been in the family, you, you get that. If you've ever had siblings, oh yeah. But there's still an aspect to it where you're always family. And he's saying, let there be no divisions among you. As a family, you can fight. It doesn't have to be all vanilla. You can add some chocolate chips. Not heretical chocolate chips, <laughs> but just, you know, chocolate chips or sprinkles, right? There can, be, there can be fighting in a family, but let there be no division among you. And by the name, over here, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He'll mention this just, I think it's three times in just this section that we're talking about. In the and if you go back to the section before, he says, in the name of our <coughs> Lord Jesus Christ, twice in this, in this section of Thanksgiving. You think he's trying to tell you something important. Be unified in one Lord by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So over here, you kind of get a bit of the answer. I appeal to you, brothers, right? So first off, if I have a problem, and this is a, this is a young, I'm, I'm a, I don't know what I am, an older millennial maybe. Maybe this is just something that we used to do when we were young. If I got a problem with you, if, if Ross and I had an issue, the respectful thing he and I would do would be like, hey, Ross, you know, I, I need to talk to you. I'd use his name. But what did we used to do a few years ago? I'd go up to him, bro. <laughs> bro, <laughs> bro, <laughs> right? You just say that, and that's the idea he has here. He's trying to. He's gave this whole section of Thanksgiving, and we talked about how he's getting into the meat of it's time for correction, brothers. You know, there's a sense of unity and family there. He's about to ease them into this sense of correction. So you get this. I appeal to you, brothers, and you're getting part of the solution here. What's the solution to divinity? The name of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what he came to do wasn't to divide us, but unite us. Christianity depends on the faithfulness of Christ. Does that make sense? I touched on it a bit in, our, in the sermon today. Faithfulness depends on the faithfulness of Christ. If Christ isn't faithful, what do we got? Nothing. We have nothing. Exactly. So Paul uses this a lot in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to bring up that who was faithful to you. Who gave you this promise? Who gave you this faith? In his name, I appeal to you. Let's go over here. That all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you all be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So that you all agree. So say the same thing. To, is this the part where I want to talk about this? Let me see. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this... Again, I'm talking at you a lot here. I'll ask you a few more questions. So... That all of you agree. This is also equal to say the same thing. I bring this up to you. It brings up another. Again, we're in chapter 1 where we're kind of laying the groundwork. Corinth, like we mentioned, sec one of the biggest cities in the ancient world. Two harbors, 
lots of money, but with that also came that influence of like Greek and Roman philosophy. So that was huge in Corinth, huge. You know, we're talking about people in the streets. You know, he talks about, um, you see him in Corinth in Acts, even, you know, when he's among people, you know, it becomes a big group discussion. Philosophy is a big thing. And what they pride themselves on is that ability to intellectualize not just faith, but practice, right? That all of you agree. How easy is it to get a bunch of pontificators to agree? <laughs> it's not. And by pontificate meaning, we're just going to throw out thoughts on what we think the world should be based off of. These people are literally trained, like in the school of philosophy, to disagree with you, right? So to say that all of you agree, say the same thing, that doesn't happen very often in a world that's full of philosophical teaching. Because I want to take what you say and I want to change it. So now it becomes my idea. That idea of inception. Let me see. I'm going to skip that part. Over here, so this is what I want to focus on. So we're going to hit a little Greek here. And I don't, I don't, so when I, want, I never want Greek to be like a flex. Like, hey, I know Greek. Check this out. I, I say it only when it's important. And there are reasons when it can be important and it adds a lot to what you're learning. This is one of them. No divisions among you. This word divisions, right? Schismata. You see it right over here. That's it. That's that. That's a chi, and that also is like a representative of Christ, if you ever see that, right? But schismata. What other words do we have in English that sound similar to this? Schism. What else? Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Very good, right? So now you're getting the idea. These words are come from these, these Greek roots to say division or separation. If there's a schism, that usually happens within an organization or a church, and that means it divides into two separate organizations. Or we had the great schism in the church in like 1000 AD, where it became the Eastern Orthodox and Western Orthodox. A great... Huh? 1056. 1056. There you go, yeah. I'm more of a ballpark guy when it comes to this. Uh, so, yes, 1050. I was, I was almost right. That's Gosh, not bad. So, I totally knew that. Off the top, I told JP, like, you guys don't know about the Great Schism. Uh, so, this is, it happens in organizations, too, right? We could say within the, like, the Lutheran body, it was, you know, during the 70s, where there was a schism within our Lutheran church, where the ELCA came out, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, then we had the LCMS. So there was even a schism there where things have now become separate. You think of schizophrenia, the idea is that there is a separate personality, right? There's something distinct, there's a different person there. It's like, man, what, you know, it's, it's sad that sometimes they use it as a cultural, you know, phrase, like, what are you, schizo? Right? You say something like that, but it's the idea it's that th these seem like completely different people or completely separate. So it's the idea of division. So you see how distinct he's talking about when he says, let there be no division among you. It's not a disagreement. It's complete separation. Let there be no complete separation among you, that you're all of a sudden doing different things, like you're making different churches. And that helps with the following part as he continues over here. Let me see. Oh, how it relates to church today. So I mentioned that. How do you see this in the church today? Do you see schism within the church? I kind of gave away one of them. Yes. Right? But we see separation. And I, I don't... Do I have it in here? Well, we, we talked some about denominations and that. I don't denominations. Know. It's different names. It's different names. Know. Yep. So it's, so it's funny. It's like yes and no. Right? With schism when you talk about denominations. Um, there are some of them that's like, man, you just seem like you're completely different. 
the, the concept where there's unity is like, is it a Christian denomination? And when you could say yes, it's like, okay, we got the basics, like the Apostles' Creed. Do you believe, teach, and confess this? Great. Do you believe in Scripture? Do you believe in the promises of Jesus? You're baptized into the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who's done these things for you. Great. Okay. We got the foundation. Some people build some weird houses on foundations, right? And I say weird, we can, we can be weird in the eyes of others too. So I don't mean that to be so judgmental. There's a picture I didn't put in here. I, I'm showing it tonight as part of third service, but it's like, it says like the Christian church over here, and you just see how all these other denominations form. And none of it, it doesn't encapsulate all of the different denominations, but you look at that and you go, let there be no division among you. Have we failed? Because man, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can tell, and I can tell you honestly, being young, when I you know, wasn't part of a Christian church, wasn't part of a Christian faith, I looked at denominations as being, man, what a bunch of hypocrites. They can't even agree on what's going on. I don't know if uh, Episcopal is a Christian church. I just know it says Episcopal on the sign. I don't know if Lutheran is a Christian church. It just says Lutheran on the sign. I had no concept being outside of the church that all these different denominations could have that same foundation and could be Christian. All I saw was, well, what is church if people can't even call it by the same name? So I had this perception of that. And that's a bit of where Paul's mindset is. Because Paul's a missionary, right? We're talking he's a missionary to people who are unchurched, uncultured in the ways, especially of Jewish tradition. He's like, once he starts to see these divisions tearing apart, he knows there's going to be moments like that. In the same sense, where it hasn't failed, is they have emphasis on different teaching. Teaching styles, things in worship. It's funny, I, I took a class called Lutheran Worship. And in this class, you had to go to different denominations. You had to attend four worship services in one weekend. That was a little brutal to find the times. But you go to it, and what you notice is when you go to these services, one thing they talk about is liturgical furniture. I know, very exciting. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea of where are things placed within the place of worship? Mm -hmm. Is a baptismal front in the front? Is it in the back? Is it when you walk in? Is there an altar? Where is the altar? And a lot of this places prominence on what they believe and how they teach. For example, in a Lutheran, it, like ours is kind of movable, and you see Jonathan and I kind of stand up at the front, but if there was a pulpit, you go to a lot of very traditional churches, they'll still have that. The pulpit is either right dead center in the front of everything, mm-hmm. or just off to the side, but still in front of everything so you can see the altar. And you see that in like a Baptist denomination or a Lutheran denomination, at LCMS, because a lot of emphasis is pray, uh, placed in the office of preaching it's like the you know hearing the word hearing the word proclaim hearing that preach we consider that to be important luther has a quote actually i'll mention it at the end but the quote is so high is placed the office of preaching that all other offices depend upon it and what he's saying because paul mentions this at the end too you know i'm not trying to go oh preacher right it's just that denomination places it on on this particular thing other ones right we have a lectern the idea is it elevates God's word, it's not just held in our hands, but other people want to be more um, relational with it. So it'll be, you know, there's no pulpit. There's a stage, and the band's up there. And then the pastor kind of walks out, but is much lower, or you guys are placed lower, so he talks down a bit. Everything has a reason, is kind of what I want to say with that. I went on a way tangent. Who knows what I'm talking about now? (laughs) Oh, here we are. (laughs) Verse 11. So, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So there's brothers again. 
Um, I like when you kind of read this and you go, Chloe, and then you go to like, I don't know, the Bible index, and you're like, who's Chloe? Did I miss something? And it's like, <laughs> nope, that's it. <laughs> this is it. This is Chloe. Uh, what I can tell you is what other people have said. Because I couldn't tell you where Chloe necessarily was, but in other commentaries and studies I've read, what we kind of get an inference here, Chloe's people, we kind of see this as Christian slaves of a woman named Chloe. Meaning, Paul was writing this letter from Ephesus, right? He's not, right, he's not in Corinth writing it. And ideally, this is what's believed, and this kind of helps you with just a little bit of the idea, especially the elevation of women in the New Testament. They're very honored. You know, they're the first ones that, that witnessed the resurrected Jesus. It's like, and this letter in particular, there will be a tough section where Paul's addressing, like, cultural practices of women in that day. And it's often a section that's under fire very often when people take it out of context. So a bit of this is saying, hey, Paul is probably staying at a, a very prominent woman named Chloe, probably at one of her houses in Ephesus, and she is such a well-to-do businesswoman, she sends her slaves over to Corinth, but allows Paul to kind of utilize them, like get reports back from them, while they go and do her business. So that's just kind of like, oh, okay, I can see how that works. But if you start like Googling Chloe, you're probably, that's all you're going to find. <coughs> What I mean to say, now this is, a, this is what we're going to focus on a lot today. What I mean to say is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So there are a division between four possible distinct groups. Can someone take their Bible open to Acts chapter 18 and 24 through 28? Because as we go through this, let me highlight the first person. Who is Paul? Right, so before that section of Acts, right, those who belong to Paul, and he's called the apostle to the what? Gentiles, Gentiles exactly. <coughs> so to get an idea of these groups, most likely Paul's group was a Gentile group. People he came and he taught and he, and he preached to. So emphasis a lot on here is Christian freedom, not necessarily laws, which will be very different when we talk about Cephas. Right, so there's, it's like, hey man, Christian freedom, this is great, and where this kind of gets iffy is we talk about the cultural practices of that day. That's how a lot of them are getting kind of mixed in. We got freedom in Christ. So, yeah, we can eat the meat of the altar that's sacrificed over here. No problem. And Paul addresses that later. Or participation in, like, the altar to Aphrodite. We could do this because we got freedom in Christ. And Paul addresses that, too. They get this idea. It's like there's so much emphasis. Have you ever heard this? That, like, the gospel can be cheapened if there's no law. If, if you get that. And that's a strong thing to say. But if you kind of don't know what you're freed from, you kind of don't know what, what's up with being free. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm free, of course. Freed from what? I don't know, but it's good. <laughs> you kind of need to know a bit of, okay, here's the law that you've been freed from. Whoa, really? Yeah, that's rough. I know. Now you kind of get an idea of the depth of what Christ has done for you. Oh, I get it. But that's kind of the idea of, these are the people that belong to Paul, right? The, the ones who are trying to justify a bit the cultural practice they're engaged with, but also the Gentiles, the people he's a mission to. Belong to Apollos. Can someone read Acts 18, 24 through 28? Dylan, take it. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues, 
But when Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila mm -hmm. sorry, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, mm -hmm. the brothers encouraged him and wrote the, to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who were through grace and had believed. Mm -hmm. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Great, thank you. Another cool little instance of elevating the position of women in the New Testament. It's two women who take this guy named Apollos aside and tell him the story of Jesus Christ. Another really neat instance, and it kind of empowers him as he moves forward. So who is Apollos? Who do we get? He's a man who's what? Well spoken. What do you think that means? Educated. Educated. And it, and what was the other word? Fervent. Fervent in spirit. This is that. This is that preacher that's up there and like like throwing Bibles and going yeah like this, raising his hand. You know, like those those guys who get really into it. It's like man, awesome. He is a fervent preacher. You know, throwing about. I mean that in a good way. Like yes, you know, like throwing <laughs> scripture. Not 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 bad. But he's a fervent, engaged preacher. He is all for the Lord, but he only knows of the baptism of John at first, right? And that's the baptism of repentance. Someone, he is there to prepare the way for someone. So he knows the baptism of John, that the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, then finally says, the Lord came already. He's like, oh, he did? And then he hears about it, and he becomes a preacher for Jesus. Where is he from? We heard that. Apollos. Apollos, where is he from? Alexandria. That's a big key there. This is also known as like the intellectual capital of the Western world. You know, if Corinth was a place where you know, there, were, there, were, there was intellectual activity, that's because they came from Alexandria. Yeah. They are smart cookies there. So they know what's going on, and we talk about that intellectualizing faith. So he's coming, he has eloquent words, he's teaching really good stuff, and people are like, yeah, we can get on board with this guy named Apollo. So this group, we talked about Corinth being a place where it intellectualizes faith. These, this is that group. People that will follow them, like, I'm into being able to dive deeper and to think more intellectually about it, which has good things and not so good things. Paul talks about that later. You can overcomplicate anything, right? You can overcomplicate making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? If you take too many steps doing it, it's like, just put peanut butter and jelly on a piece of bread and slam them together. It's like, no. First, you want to wash the bread. I don't know. I'm making this up. <laughs> trying to overcomplicate it. You want to scrape anything from the bread that could interfere with your taste buds. Then slice the crust off. And then get a different knife because you don't want the bad bread molecules on your, your, in your peanut butter. Make sure that's chunky <laughs> peanut butter. So if you have yeah, mold, see, you see, see, yeah, see I'm in. I'm, there, I can overcomplicate making a peanut butter and a jelly sandwich. In the same sense, you can overcomplicate faith. And we do it often. We like to dive deep into scriptures. God calls us to do that great. Paul will tell you at the end, he's like, you know, least, you know, what does he say right there? It's, it's like the last verse. Do, 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 do. Um, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If I focus too much on the words of eloquent wisdom, and I try and create something that's not there, you know, you heard the kiss method. Sometimes you got to keep it, simple. keep it simple, stupid, or what is it? The way they 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 make it politically correct. Keep it stupid, simple, right? Yeah. Sometimes yes. It's it's about Christ. Don't forget the the life and death and resurrection of Christ for you. Don't forget that. Don't empty the cross of its power. The more that we want to complicate it. So that's the people of Apollos. How about those who belong to Cephas? 
The key here is in the name. Huh? Cephas is Peter, but what version of Peter's name is this? The rock. Huh? Rock. Cephas, yes, yes. More than that. So Peter is like the Greek version. This is the Hebrew version, or the Jewish version of the name Peter is Cephas. The key is in the name. Which people are following Cephas then? Jews. The Jewish people, exactly. Right? So these are people that are already in Corinth, or Jews that have now moved to Corinth. But we kind of know the Jewish people are scattered across the world early on. And so this is a key group of people here that know this name and follow this name. They don't call him Peter, they call him Cephas, right? And the idea behind that is to realize there are, and Paul addresses this a lot in a lot of letters, but there are people that are holding on too much to their Jewish faith and not as much to the fulfillment of it in Christ. So they're saying you kind of need to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. You can't have a fulfilled promise without obeying the laws of the promise before. You know, that's where the issues of circumcision come in, which Paul will address in this letter too, right? So we have this group of people who are just very, very much not just Jewish, but observant of the Jewish law and exalted the law and kind of doing so, they belittle grace. The final group of people over here belong to Christ. Shouldn't we all? Why can this be negative? Is that like that overcome? Kind of, kind of. It's a little bit, so where Paul addresses it, it can kind of happen in two ways. Talk about the one that's kind of negative first. It's a sense of elitism. Well, yeah, here's all the different denominational lists, but, you know, we're Lutherans. We're the real Christians. You're not. You're the lesser ones to say, well, I belong to Christ. I don't know what you guys are doing. Huh? Huh? I belong to the one true church. I belong to the one true church. Yes. Not the one down the street that you could go to. This is the one true church. So you get the idea there. That's when you get that negativity of elitism with that. Paul could also be saying in this section, like, I belong to Christ. but And that you'll see that in commentaries, but it doesn't translate that way. So it's a much firmer belief to say, like, it's that elitism. Some of you are saying this, this, this. Some of you are saying, I belong to Christ. Aren't we supposed to? Well, yeah, but you can't tell, like, I'm Christian, and because you're not like me, there's no way you could be Christian. Well, yes, you kind of see, you know, the, the spectrum, especially in the New Testament, from a prostitute who cries on his feet and wipes his hair, uses her hair to wipe his feet, is just as much a Christian as, um, oh, who's another good example? Um, you could even say Levi or Matthew, right? Someone who could host, someone who has a lot of money, a tax collector that could host a big feast in their home. You know, someone who can be this high up and this low within culture can be completely different. Or even a Roman centurion, someone from a completely different culture can still have faith in Christ. Any questions on those factions before we move on? Most likely, because kind of from the rest of the letter, you get the idea, these are the two largest ones. The Paul and Apollos factions. Because he mentions Apollos, I think, two more times. At least one more time throughout the letter. So we know these are probably the two biggest groups. But there are four distinct groups he's talking about here. So we get to 13, and he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Two, say, two things on this. First of all, these are rhetorical questions. And I, don't know if I, I teach on this all the time because it opened my mind to the scriptures a lot. These rhetorical questions, Jesus asked them a lot. 
And it's the idea that they already have an implied answer. And it was a technique that rabbis, especially at that time, used all the time. I mean, teachers, we do this all the time, too, where something has an implied answer to it. Should you have hit your sister? No. But, uh, you already know the answer, right? Should you really eat ice cream before dinner? No. So we ask these rhetorical questions. So over here, is Christ divided? What's the answer? No. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. No. Exactly. So he gives these and leads them up. Because baptized into the name of, what does that mean? Into the family of, yep. So you're, you're really close. So baptized into the family of, and who's the head of the family? Christ. Christ. Unless you're baptized in someone else's name. Right? It's the idea that you become their possession, right? We, we hear the term slaves to Christ often that Paul uses, right? It's like we talk about freedom, but we hear slaves to Christ. How can we be free but be slaves to Christ? You're baptized into the name of Christ, into his family, and it's by his will that you're given freedom and that you're saved because that's what the master of the house gives you. So we have that. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Part of it, you know, I talked about a possession. Um, you know, if you swear loyalty to something... That means you belong to that person. Roman soldier at that time would swear to their emperor or to their Caesar at that time. So you belong to that person. How does this relate to verses 14 and 15? Who can read 14 and 15 for me? What happens right after that? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, sir. I guess that's it. That's 14 and 15? Yep. Okay. So, it's not a very pastoral thing to say. Oh, I thank the Lord that I didn't baptize most of you. <laughs> Hold on. Why would he say that? Well, the context of all the divisions, it can be misconstrued. You baptize his name instead of Christ's name. Yes, absolutely. You know, a common denominational question that we have is when someone comes from a different denomination, joins the Lutheran church, or goes elsewhere, you ask, were you baptized? And you say, yes. Let's say you say yes or no, but you say yes. You ask, okay, one common question is like, what denomination were you previously? And you ask that for a very particular reason, because you want to know, hey, if you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you were baptized into Jesus, we're good. You don't need to be baptized again. If you were, if you were baptized Catholic, well, they do the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're good here. You don't need another baptism. There are other religious sects, right? That we call aberrant, meaning they're outside the realm of actually being Christian, where they'll baptize you a little different. And you're like, hmm, we need to talk about that. Because to, it's, it's a really difficult thing to say, well, your baptism wasn't valid. And it's even, like, even Christian churches have done that, because I went to a non-denominational mm -hmm. one, and I was baptized Lutheran. Yeah. They did not accept that. I could not become a member mm -hmm. unless I was rebaptized. There, there are so uh, that. Uh, what do I want to say there? I would say yes. They're, they're Christian. Other, other denominations will do that yeah. and say that. There are a couple. There are a couple bookkeeping reasons they like to have that on their books. Would uh -huh. be one. Second of it being um, non-denomination is a denomination within itself. Right. But you have to realize with a non-denominational church, which I've, I've been to plenty of them, and some of them have been absolutely great. There's kind of two things with it. One, that pastor got training somewhere and believes what he believes for a reason. 
And oftentimes those will go back to, well, I, I went to this seminary. Even though I'm not denom, I went to a Baptist seminary. Or even though I'm non-denom, I went to a Lutheran seminary. Even though I'm non-denom, I have these beliefs. So you're, it's funny, denominationalism is actually, we, we, we believe, teach, and confess these things, and oftentimes it's an exposition of Scripture by someone else. Lutheranism, Martin Luther, the Book of Concord, that's what we say exposition of Scripture, meaning he went into Scripture, and the teachings that he wrote down, he believes were scripturally true. And that's where we get that from. The kind of thing with a, with a non-denom church, it's like, well, I kind of believe this, but that one's good over there. I like that one. I like that one. And you know what? This is what I believe, personally. Not, I, can't, I wouldn't tell you that these things are bad. Some of them are good. Part of the problems that we can have with that is there's no, uh, what I want to say, accountability with it. If that makes sense. But they're still Christian. Still Christian, yeah. But I'm saying you might encounter things like that. Yeah, where it's so like, I didn't become a member but, because but I wasn't going to... You encounter things like that where you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. That seems out of right field. Well, it might be out of right field. Or, you know, somewhere in right field. But it doesn't mean that they're not a Christian church. Their teaching can be a little... It's like, well, hold on. But if you were baptized there, we'd accept you here, no problem. You don't need to get baptized again right. if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and right. Holy Spirit. Who brings the gifts to you? God. Not the guy who puts the water on. Right? As much as I want to believe it or make myself important, I'm just the guy that picks up water and throws it on you. God's the one that brings the word and his grace and his promises to you. Does that make sense? So again, they're Christian. Great. No problem. Sometimes you'll encounter churches that you're like, where did that teaching come from? Kind of, could have kind of came from anywhere. So, anyway... Was that good? Was I, yeah, I, didn't mean to talk. I didn't mean to distract you, but it was no. frustrating to me. It's a, it's a very good question, though, because we get that all the time. And you'll go to it. Let's say your time at Grace is over. You're, you're moving to Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be in Phoenix where it's 105 degrees, but the outdoor stuff's really good. And you go, it's like, well, you know, I went to, this, went to the Lutheran church, and there it didn't really gel with me, so I started going to a non-denom church, and it was great. I love what they teach. I love what they believe. I love I engage with their worship. Very cool, I want to be a member. And then they say, well, are you yeah. baptized? Okay. And they'll say yes, and it's like, well, you need to be baptized here. You should be able to say confidently, why? And then have a reason. Be like, well, Scripture actually teaches this. And it can become a point of conflict, but you should be knowledgeable about your faith. God calls us into, you know, that's kind of what today was about. God calls us into that grasp, you know, use your faith, grasp hold of the promises of Jesus. Understand, you know, Peter talks about it, have a defense ready for what you believe. Right? That's in 1 Peter. Have a defense ready for why you believe it. That's about in, it. The, in the Lutheran and also Catholic Church, mm-hmm. they baptize the infant, so they're really not cognizant of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and so these other faiths, Christian faiths, may say, wait a minute, no, you okay. have to be more yeah. aware yeah. and committed to this baptism. That's what we do. Uh, yeah. But then also exactly, in yeah. the Lutheran Church, they say baptized once. <laughs> yes. It's like, uh-oh, what if somebody was baptized twice because now they're cognizant as well as the infant. Okay, it was just a remembrance of your baptism. We don't get stressed out about that kind of stuff. Okay. When, other, when other places will. It's like, oh, which one was valid? It doesn't, it's all good. It's God's word. Just roll with it. Some people love to do the remembrance of their baptism. Different churches will have a problem with that, and some people won't. That's about all. But some people will say, like, well, you know, first one wasn't valid because you couldn't say things. 
couldn't even think. That becomes a theological <laughs> point of yeah. context. That's yeah. the distressing thing. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. But I'm going to finish this, so i got to move along. <laughs> okay, sorry. So, no, it was, it was all, it's all very good questions. Over here, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So philosophy at that, at that time, intellectualizing it too much. We kind of mentioned that already. Uh, I'm, I'm way off. Let me figure this out here. Very good. So these words of eloquent wisdom, that's kind of a jab at the philosophy at that time. Like if you say things more beautifully, more eloquently, you can, you can beef it up. You can, he says, remember, keep it simple. Don't empty the cross of Christ. Don't empty that of its power. Make the emphasis on that. Rather than, you know, if I went into this and I told you what every single Greek word meant and its roots and where it came from, it's like, okay, I kind of lost the point if I'm telling you about, <laughs> you know, if I'm breaking down a word so much. I'm like, did you know this is, uh, 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 I don't know, let me see. I'm trying to make something up right now. And Dean, did you know that that's a first aorist, past first person possessive noun that's used 47 times in in throughout the, the Greek scriptures. Wow, great, let's end the class, have a good day. It's like, what you're gonna go out here remembering is like, did you know that this, this word eloquent means this? Isn't that great? It's like, you should be walking out with Christ. You should be walking out with the point of, hey, there's contention within culture, within this class that we're addressing, but the solution is simplicity in Christ. Chris, I have a question, so like, yeah, I know Jesus tells us to baptize people and get baptized, but why do we get baptized? Why do we get baptized? Great question. Let me start. See, I know he tells us to do it, but sometimes yeah. I mm -hmm. don't understand why, because I feel like the one that really matters is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what's the point of just water? So, great question. I'm going to... i got two minutes. <laughs> Sorry. Let me give you... No, no. It's, let me give you a non-satisfactory answer. <laughs> um, and let me, let me tell you this. I'd love to talk to you about it more. Let me start with the very first thing is we have what's called sacraments. There are two sacraments in which God promises he will work through to bring us his promises and to speak to us. So one of them is um, the sacrament of the altar, which is Holy Communion. God, God says, my body will be in this bread, my blood will be in this wine to forgive you of your sins and to bring you eternal life. So it's like God interacts with us physically through these elements to share with us his promises. The other one we have is baptism. He promises to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism. We see that in Acts, right? So we're commanded to baptize to receive the gifts of God. It's a physical element in which he works through. Jesus tells us to be baptized. This is, man, it's a great question. I wish I had more time. The last part I'll say is he commands us to be baptized. Oftentimes, I find myself being an adult Christian with other adult Christians. I was baptized. And... People say, well, you know, I don't need to be baptized. Didn't you know about the thief on the cross? He didn't have to be baptized and he was saved too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's the, that's the mercy of God, but why would you deliberately disobey what Jesus is telling you? you? That is also you not putting faith in the promises of Christ if he tells you to do something and you refuse to do it. Does that make sense? Well, he didn't have time. Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> he was not, Jesus Christ did not send me the baptized. That's what Paul says. Christ himself didn't baptize people. No. Jesus didn't baptize people. But he was baptized. He not only was he baptized, he sent out his disciples and apostles to go baptize on his behalf. Right? right? Paul does the same thing. 
you read in here, he sends elders and church leaders to do the baptizing. Why? Jesus did all the preaching. And what Martin Luther says, I mentioned this before, that everything falls upon the office of preaching. If you don't have a preacher at a church and God's word isn't being proclaimed, are people going to think about it logically? Would people show up? No. Not really. Maybe, but not really. You don't see churches grow. You don't see people engaging in their faith if there's no pastor at the church preaching. And what Paul's saying is like, hey, man, I'm going everywhere. I'm planting churches and I'm preaching. I've empowered this responsibility to be given to others to still do what Jesus commands. Right? It's through the water that we're given the Holy Spirit. Right? It's through the water that we engage with the promises of God. He says it's important. That's why Jesus says go and do it, even though he himself wasn't doing it. Because everything falls on the office of preaching. All the other offices. So Jesus says, if everything's going to fall on me and my word, I have to spend every second I have to do all the preaching so everything can fall upon my preaching. It's not my preaching it falls on. It's the promises of Christ. Everything falls on. And that's what preaching is. If you go up there and you give a sermon and you don't mention the power of what Christ has done for you, it's not a sermon. It can be a class. It can be an engaging lecture. But it's not a sermon. A sermon always goes back and points to the promises of what Christ has done for you. You know, it's kind of funny. We had... um, What can I talk about here? We're doing chapel again. And like, oh, we, we do chapel all the time. But every Wednesday, one thing that we kind of had, we kind of had people give us feedback. And one of the feedback pieces was, you guys say the same message every week. And I'm like, good. <laughs> Jonathan and I are like, good. I hope that's coming across. Maybe there are ways in which you can say it that can be differently engaging. I get that. But if we're not talking about the promises of Christ and what he's done for you, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life to be with him, throw all chapel away. It's pointless. Because it's not the purpose in which it was there. And that's where... Oh, the quote's right over here, right? Don't worry about the second part, about what's leading about it. We'll fill that in last time. Any questions, comments? And I'd love to talk with you more. But I have to go. Because I have to preach in the next service. <laughs> and she had Deb, that's why Deb had to leave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the engagement with your word. And uh, what you say to us through it. Lord, The not just the... The gospel, which is great, but also the commands and the, the words that go with it. Thank you for helping us get a level deeper with understanding what's going on in Corinth to, to engage with our own culture as well through your word. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.